0: Remember, a new time for Hedda Hopper, right after Harrison Fay every Sunday. From Hollywood, NBC brings you Hedda Hopper.
1: (laughs) Hedda Hopper, who daily reports to 30 million readers in America and eight foreign countries, now reports to you on the air. Here is Hedda Hopper's Hollywood. From the desk by the window, looking right down on Hollywood and Vine.
0: And here she is, Hedda Hopper.
2: Hello, everybody. Look over my shoulder while I write my column. We'll have news about famous people, the personal visits with Audie Murphy, Senator-elect Nixon, Barbara Stanwyck, and Mr. Pinza. Okay, let's go. Robert Taylor, dog tired and thin as a whip after seven months with Quo Vardis in Rome, will undergo a serious operation within two weeks. He arrived home on Wednesday. Joan Leslie expects her first baby in February. Her husband, Dr. Bill Caldwell, a pediatrician, will deliver it. David Bryan, who's making a picture inside Folsom Prison, is trying to break jail long enough to attend a party I'm giving for Tallulah Bankhead and Betty Davis tomorrow. Arlene Dahl and Lex Barker left for a marriage in Las Vegas this morning, but it's not their own. They'll stand up for Lex's good friend, Leonard Shannon, who will marry Netta Atkins. When I suggested that she and Lex have been tied too, Arlene said, no, I'm just going for the ride. Ingrid Bergman and Dr. Lindstrom's daughter, Pia, aged 12, born in Sweden, became an American citizen yesterday. The Goldbergs, a low-budget picture based on their television show, is getting rave reviews in New York. Gertrude Berg, who writes some stars in it, told me of her grandfather who rebelled at wearing formal dress to a wedding. When the bride insisted, he rented a tuxedo and sent it to the ceremony with this note. You evidently wanted the suit, not me, so here it is. (laughs) The Eddie Brackett's expect their fifth child next week. They have three boys and a girl. I asked Mrs. Brackett what they wanted this time, and she said, oh, just a baby. (laughs) A year and a half ago, when I was back east, I ran head-on into an unusual phenomenon. In the average New York home, it became more difficult for Junior to get the family car for an evening. Why? Because Father was taking Junior's mothers out. Nor could nor could son borrow Father's flashiest ties. Why? Because Father was wearing them. Father was feeling his oats. Then I discovered why this rejuvenation of the middle-aged man, and how I hate that word, middle-aged. I walked into the Majestic Theater in New York one evening. Once you have
3: found her, never let her go. Once you have found her, never let her go.
2: There he was, the reason himself. Mr. Finzer in South Pacific. And in his dressing room after the show.
1: Ed, me? Be the reason for anything? No, no, you're wrong.
2: No, no, I'm not. It's your singing and playing the romantic older Frenchman and winning Mary Martin's young heart that started it all. You're the influence, all right. And you want to bet you'll be influencing Hollywood soon?
3: Me? Go to Hollywood? Oh,
1: no, Edda. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I am Ron
2: Welcome to Hollywood I noticed the grips and cottonces around the set here Holding themselves a little straighter You know, you deserve some kind of medal From the Society for Preservation of Romance In, well, more mature men
1: You mean uh, middle-aged, don't you, Heather? I just don't understand that word, middle-aged A man is never middle-aged He's young, young all the time until he dies That's my
2: philosophy, too
1: how did you like making your first picture,
2: Mr. Imperium?
1: Oh, it was fine. I knew the story was only make believe. It never really happened. But you know, when I saw the picture, I believed. Why not?
2: <laughs> making love to Lana Turner, isn't she beautiful?
1: I have always been lucky, Heather. Such beautiful women: Mary Martin, Lana Turner, and now Hedda Hopper visiting me.
2: <laughs> Thank you. What's going on? I know you're not shooting.
1: We are getting ready for my next.
2: Oh, strictly dishonorable, eh?
1: Yes, about an opera star, uh, a mature opera star.
2: Imagine casting such a young man for it.
1: (laughs) We are just trying to decide what songs to use. I have a favorite. I wanted the director to hear it. So we are making a sort of test recording.
2: What is it? Opera? Concert? Romantic ballad?
1: (laughs) At last, you are wrong.
0: Stand right, please. Quiet. All Miss Binza. Quiet. It's a take.
3: Thundering, wandering, 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 holy child.
2: I was surprised. Mr. Pinza's favorite song is a beautiful Negro spiritual. And yes, Mr. Pinza is now in Hollywood, and my prediction is that when his picture is released, men in Kansas City and Keokuk will also stand up straighter and feel a lot younger. How will the ladies feel? No prediction necessary.
3: <laughs>
2: Howard Hughes is flying lovebirds Gene Simmons and Stuart Granger and the Cary Grants to Sun Valley over the weekend in his own private plane. Although Ava Gardner will act Helen Morgan's role in Showboat, Boat, her singing will be done by Annette Warren from radio. Dan Daly has found a new romance with 19-year-old Barbara Whiting. Janet Lee and Tony Curtis are expected to name their wedding date any day. My admiration for Olivia de Havilland and Jennifer Jones, who will both tackle the role of Juliet on the stage, is mixed with amazement. Ethel Barrymore, Jane Cowell, and Kit Cornell never attempted Shakespeare until they'd had at least 15 years' seasoning on the stage. Twenty-two years ago today, America celebrated the end of the first and what was to be the last world war. But it's only now, 32 years later, we're beginning to learn our lesson. That the reality of war can never be dealt with except by concrete measures. It isn't easy for a woman and a mother to be realistic, particularly about one certain measure. And that measure is universal military training. And so I asked Audie Murphy, our most decorated soldier of World War One, to come in and give me his ideas on the subject. Patsy, is Audie Murphy out there? Yes, Miss Hopper. Audie, come on
4: in. I got your call, Miss Hopper. What's it all about?
2: I heard you talking the other night about universal military
4: training. Oh, now, look, uh, that's a big subject, and I'm no expert.
2: I think you are, Audie. You're also one of us now, an actor. And you're a soldier.
4: Well, there's another war going on right now. Men are fighting and dying.
2: And you've signed up in the National Guard in case they need you for this one.
4: Well, yes. I uh, want to be ready. That's my whole point about universal military training. You've been a chance to get ready. There are arguments on both sides, I know. Some people say that if we raise a large army, it will encourage war. Now, to me, that's just like saying that a l- large police force encourages crime.
2: Well, you're saying the same thing Teddy Roosevelt said years ago. Walk softly, but carry a big stick.
4: That's right. Let's get this straight. I hate war like I hate cancer. You can't get rid of cancer by hating it. The same goes for war. And the
2: whole idea of universal military training is that it will provide a constant flow of trained young men year after year.
4: They'd only be called when needed. I mean, for active duty after they're trained. I was lucky, you know, back in 1942, I at least had a little time for training. In case of another full-scale war, there might not be any time. But in an emergency, we'd have to call somebody, wouldn't we? And trained or untrained, they'd have to go. Yes, I'd grant you. Well, I know we don't like to face these things, but... A whole country could die from the same thing, not being trained and kept ready. But, Orde,
2: to take young boys away from school and their families for a year or two years...
4: As I said before, nobody likes war. That's not the point. The point is not to stick our heads in the sand. And if war doesn't come, and that year or two you're talking about certainly won't hurt anybody. Maybe boys could learn something that they couldn't learn at home or in college. I know I did. Self-reliance, teamwork. How men from other parts of the country feel and think. Well, all that's very well, fine. You no. Know, Six guys being cooped up in one tent, or 200 living together in one barracks under the same conditions. That's about as good a lesson in democracy as you can get. Democracy?
2: But all the universal military training is more like what goes on in a militaristic state. We don't want the United States to become anything like that.
4: Hold it. Do you know any group of people who work harder for democracy than veterans? Men who learn how to fight for something are ten times as anxious to protect it. A union of freedom. I'm beginning
2: to understand what you mean. But none of us will ever cheer the necessity for universal military
4: training. None of this is stuff for cheering. It just has to be faced, that's all.
2: Well, thanks, Audie. You've made all of us see what we have ahead of us. (laughs) Edward G. Robinson, following the example of folk singer Josh White, appeared before the investigation staff of the House Un-American Activities Committee in Washington to try to clear his name of leftism. But he didn't testify under oath. Nor was there a member of the actual committee present. However, Robinson disavowed all red links and offered to return and repeat his statement under oath. Hopalong Cassidy has been covering New York with a patch over his nose. When asked what happened, he said, I've got a powder burn. Whether face or gunpowder, he didn't explain. (laughs) After Tallulah Bank had, had seen all about Eve at a private showing, she said, How dare Miss Betty Davis be almost as magnificent as I am. (laughs) Such impertinence. I will settle with her out of court. (laughs) Nancy Oakes, shuffling between New York and South America, is carrying a terrific torch for Richard Green. Richard's estranged wife, Pat Medina, is still bedded with that concussion she suffered at Collier Young's house when the witches rode Halloween. Next week, I'm going to visit Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman and Mary Alanza on this program, also Andy Devine. Join us, won't you? Remember, it will be Sunday right after the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show and just before the Theatre Guild. You know, a fine actress is one who never stops learning. One of Hollywood's best told me about a very enriching experience, the opportunity to play opposite an actor whose performance will never be forgotten. I knew she was referring to the late and great Walter Houston. His last picture was Paramount's The Furies, and the experience she meant was playing his daughter. His daughter who was cut from the same mold. And this actress I was talking to over a cup of coffee at her home was Barbara Stanwyck.
5: The whole picture, you know, Heather, was a little furious. Even the love affair between me
2: and Rip, the part Wendell Corey played. There was hatred along with the love. There always is, isn't there? Isn't that what makes love so interesting? It did in the Furies. It had the sort of strong stuff that ballads are made out of. There was a song in the picture, remember? Oh, of course. The ballad about your father. He was like a shadow over your romance. But that romance could be taken right out and told by a storyteller just by itself. The love story. What happens to love in the shadow of a strong and ruthless man? He drug
0: them cows from out the sloughs.
2: A tasty round time.
0: Yep. T.C. Jeffords, back in New Mexico Territory in 1870. Old T.C. put together a whole kingdom out of land and cattle. The Furies, he called it. And he ruled it like one of them old-time lords. Even printed his own money. But he couldn't rule Vance. Vance Jeffords, his daughter, his pride,
4: just like him.
0: Think she'd ever find a husband with a father like that? Man good enough and strong enough for her? (laughs) Well, neither did she. Until one night, there at the Furies, big party going on, a man walked in the door and made everybody stop and look nervous. A gambler. He had no business there either.
5: Why did you come to the Furies? (laughs) What do they call you?
0: Some call me a grin eating blackleg gambler. Some call me Mr. Darrow, and some call me Rip.
5: Rip? It fits you. Like a blade cutting right through. This
0: wasn't our dance, Miss Jeffords, and you didn't invite me here. Why did you let on your head?
5: If I had ever seen you, I would have invited you.
0: I'm sure you would have.
5: Oh, modest, aren't you? No. You think you're top man on God's earth.
0: I'm a gambler. When I'm losing, I cut my bets to the minimum. When I'm winning, I let it ride. Are you winning now?
5: Mr. Darrow, may I expect the honor of your call at the Furies on Saturday?
0: You always go after what you're after as directly as this.
5: When you know what you're after, why waste time?
0: I would have come courting you. Your father would start his army from the fjord. You're
5: not a man to be afraid. I'm the man
0: whose father your father it's killed. It's
5: long ago. It's forgotten or it should be. Besides, it was a fair fight. You'll be there, sir. I waited for you all day. That's your door. You said you'd be there? No, you
0: said I'd be there. I didn't say a word. Watch me for that, Van. I
5: bet you a cake. I brought it along. I didn't want it to go to waste.
0: You brought it to shove into my face.
5: That's just exactly right.
0: Oh, Rick.
5: Sometimes a girl meets a man who's strong, who's as strong as she is. And she thinks he's as strong as her father. And when she gets him to the point where he'll ask for her hand, she's so sure that her father won't be able to stop her. Oh, yes,
0: she's so sure. Yes, Mr. Jeffords, I love your daughter. Only you offer me $50,000 if I don't ask for her, if I just get. All right. I'll take the money. Rip. I never told your daughter I'd marry her anyway. That was her idea, not Rip, mine. when
5: you said you'd come, Bast,
0: I told you I'd do my own proposing. You're not ready to marry yet, not me or anyone else, because you're married already to this ranch, to the Furies. Goodbye to the boss. Rip!
5: Rip, wait! Rip! Yes, Father, once, the mighty T.C. And somehow, I even loved him. But I am in his pride. His word is law, his whip is rough. But in time, such love can only turn to hate. And in a kingdom, there can only be one king. When the king's daughter gives herself to work and ambition, the king must finally lash back with his law. And so with violence, even death, old T.C. rode roughshod on those of his subjects who were my friends. Yes, my own father. But I swore I'd take his whole world away from him. I'd have the furies. And by then I hated him so much I was even willing to face once more the man who had thrown me over. The man I hadn't been able to conquer. Vance. Hello, Rip.
0: You've been away a long time. And you marked
5: off the days on the calendar. I only came here because I need money.
0: I have $50,000.
5: 50, $50,000? That's
0: right, Vance. The same. I've kept it here for you. always intended it for you.
5: It's not my money, it's yours. I'll pay you for the use of
0: it. I hope you know what you're doing.
5: Mr. Darrow, I need that money to wreck my father.
0: You found a new love in your life, haven't you, Vance? You're in love with hate.
5: I used Rip's money to buy up every scrap of home printed paper credit my father had been distributing for years. He sees personal currency. In the range country, always backed by his word, but in a bank useless to him. A huge crate of the stuff to buy T.C.'s cattle. Yes, because though he didn't know it, I was to be the buyer of his cattle at the end of the Great Roundup. I finally had my father where I wanted him.
0: Well, Vance, what's the matter? The Furies will be yours by tomorrow night, won't it? You've won. What's the matter? Congratulations. Stop it.
5: What, uh, what you said about hatred, rip that...
0: You mean tomorrow won't be fun for you? No fun at all?
5: Hatred is so... so lonely. It's
0: taken you a long time to learn it. Like I have.
5: We're the same kind, you and I. We're both out for what we can get. And we're smart. We'd make a good partnership. We might just as well get married.
0: If we married, it'd be more than a business partnership. Come here. Don't ask me to be your husband. Whenever you're wrong, Vance, I'll tell you so. If I'm wrong, you just keep your little mouth shut.
5: Mr. Darlene, I hope you can chew what you just did off. Only, uh, about tomorrow, Rip, about T.C. I know,
0: you'd like it to be a three-way partnership.
5: I'll go through with tomorrow, but... Yes, I'm all finished with hatred. Thank you, Rip. So the next day I paid my father, and he only roared with laughter. I had outfought him and he loved me for it, and I didn't want to fight anymore. But hatred and ruthlessness have a way of bringing their own ending. Father! Father! Yes. One of those unimportant people the king had one step done broke up that three-way partnership before it ever happened. The king was dead. But I knew that someday there would still be a three-way partnership to run the fury. Rip. me. And a baby boy we would name PC the second.
2: Back at my desk, I wrote this about Barbara Sanders. She's given great performances, played many parts, built out of the strongest emotions up to and including murder. Maybe to do that, you have to be as personally happy, as naturally gracious, and as successfully married as Barbara Stanwyck. Danny Kay has a problem. We should have one just like it. Saul Hurick wants to book him for a solid year on the concert tour. London's Palladium offers him $20,000 a week for three solid months, and he's torn between loving England, mingling with royalty, or making a million at home. A grumpy Monty Woolley wonders how far Hollywood can go in arousing his indignation. For his next picture, he's already agreed to dye his white beard black. Now they want him to learn how to play the piccolo. (laughs) Senator Richard Nixon leaves for Washington, D.C. next week to rest. His California friends won't let him have it here, and I'm one of them. Because when I had a request from my listeners for an Day message from a national figure, I chose Richard Nixon. As his own state chose him last Tuesday. And here, by transcription, is Richard Dixon.
6: Now, Heather, there's no doubt in my mind, but the most important issue facing the American people today is what we are going to do after the Korean War is over. We have fought two wars in our lifetime, two world wars, and we've won both of those wars. And now we're in a third war, a war in Korea that already has cost us thousands of casualties. The question is, what are we going to get out of this war? Now, there are those who say that we don't want anything out of war. And I'm tired of people who say that. Because in the two wars that we have fought, that's what we have gotten out of them. Nothing up to this point. We do want something out of this war. We want peace. An opportunity for ourselves and for our children to grow up at peace in a free world. I think that we can have peace. And I think the greatest responsibility that those who go to Washington to represent the people in the years to come is to develop a program which will resist effectively the only threat which exists to the peace of the world. The threat which is presented by the international communist conspiracy abroad and at home. I think if we develop a firm, effective program of meeting that threat to the peace of the world, we can have peace in our time and peace in the time to come.
2: Yes, Americanism was the voice heard throughout the land last Tuesday. Party lines were forgotten principle, not party, became foremost. This was so well expressed in a telegram I received from a staunch Democrat and our greatest statesman, Bernard M. Baruch, who said, Congratulations on Pennsylvania and California. Best regards. Yes, results proved that votes could not be bought or voters cajoled. The American spirit, when aroused, is the greatest power on earth. It weeds out subversive, No gang can substitute its jackpot ideology for our free way of life. A way of life which makes it possible for the humble to reach the top without Tommy guns or concentration camps. Yes, we're all for United Nations. We'll do everything in our power to make it click. But in so doing, let's never forget our own country, nor our flag. The symbol of all we love and fight for. Let's keep our stars and stripes flying at the top of every flagpole in the nation
3: oh, say can you see by the
0: company